Right. I'm going to have the junior church stay here for a sec. I have a few uh, announcements and a few things uh, that I want everyone to hear. It has been a few weeks since I have been with you. I appreciate technology and snow days, but uh, church at home, on your couch, for me, church, preaching from my living room is just not the same as being with you. Uh, so I enjoy seeing uh, your faces. Hopefully you enjoy uh, seeing each other's faces. And uh, during, this, uh, during this time of uh, church grief, um, surgeries that our church is having, I want to thank you as a church family for helping us as elders to shepherd our church, and our church is well taken care of. And because our church, you take care of each other, it frees us up to, it frees me up to get sick. So I got sick a couple times, uh, missed being here, but I knew you guys were going to still hear God's Word. Uh, when I was gone last week in Florida at a pastor's fellowship, I got to watch and listen to uh, the service, and I really wanted to be here, uh, but uh, you were in very good hands last week. I also want to thank the... Uh, gentlemen in the back that get a lot of bad rap, but they are desperate to try to get Sunday school and the morning worship, so it's uh, visible for us to uh, sing along, follow along in Sunday school. So thank you guys for working uh, overtime this morning and crawling around in the attic to try to help uh, you guys, uh, the, us that enjoy that, don't realize all that goes on and the hours uh, that they put in. Thank you as well. I, I noticed uh, uh, Katie and Titus playing this morning, and they were here this week practicing, so thank you for uh, extra time, uh, and we have appreciated having more than just one or two piano players here at church, so that's a blessing. And for the men uh, last year and this year that are speaking, uh, sharing God's Word, uh, in Sunday school, Wednesday nights, you have seen a variety of people, variety of men, uh, sharing God's Word, and so that takes a lot of pressure off of me and Pastor Ty that we have a lot of godly men that can handle God's Word, and so that is a blessing. This year's theme is obeying God's Word together. It reminds me of the children's song, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Believe what? You believe God. So what is disobedience? The very worst way to show that you aren't really believing. And as a church, uh, the last since COVID, we have been having themes of together. So this year's theme is obeying God's Word together. You'll see it in our intro slides and maybe in the conclusion slides of our service, but obeying God's Word together. We chose that theme. I chose that theme because of where I'm at in Romans. We'll see that this morning. And uh, what uh, we are about as a church is not just hearing the Word, but obeying the Word. This is true for our homes. This is true for our private lives as well as our public lives. And if you're in the habit of disobeying God, uh, as you come here to church, we're going to challenge you to obey Him, because uh, we all need that challenge. At times, we get discouraged with obeying. It gets hard when everyone around us is disobeying. It's challenging sometimes to obey God. 
uh, but that uh, we're going to do that together. And if you see me disobeying God, please talk to me. Uh, talk to someone that will talk to me uh, because I'm not above uh, disobedience. And so we all need to uh, be about obeying God's word uh, together. One announcement about after our service, it's going to be a lot of, it's going to appear chaotic, <laughs> uh, but we still are making coffee for everyone. So if you want to stay for coffee and not stay for lunch, that's fine. Uh, the food is being catered, catered for lunch. And so as the food arrives, if you are staying for lunch, you're welcome to grab coffee and sit at a table. Uh, you're welcome to just stay for coffee, that's fine, and then, and then slip out. Um, but thank you for uh, being flexible uh, today and as we are blessing our uh, Lord willing to the Martin family this afternoon. We want to honor the Lord uh, because Joan honored the Lord uh, with her life and uh, we're thankful for the years that we had with her. All right, now the four to six-year-olds, you can go to your class at this time. The rest of us, you see where we're at in Romans. We have a, a lot of phobias. Phobias are fears. There is a new phobia that I looked up. It is a real thing. It's got a label. It's got some diagnosis. It's got some on the internet, some ways to overcome this fear. But the fear is nomophobia. N-O-M-O-phobia. And it means the fear of no mobile phone. What do people that have a fear of no mobile phone, how do they live? Oh, my mobile phone's down there. I guess I don't have enough fear of it. So if you have a fear of no mobile phone, you always have your phone on you. You always have your phone within, even at night, within arm's reach. You are willing for that phone to wake you up, willing for that phone to notify you about the least little thing, and every time you get a notification, your arm is programmed to do that, and you watch people, even out to eat with their family, no one talks and even looks at each other. They're all... And you're like, okay, they are together, but they're not, they're not together. They're not connecting. They're connecting with everybody through this portal of a mobile device. It's obvious to people that are closest to them that they have this fear of no mobile phone. I tried to find a word that was the mobile phone aholic. Uh, because that goes with today's message, and they haven't come up with that yet, as far as I can tell on the internet. There's no mobile phone-aholic or phone-aholic, we probably would say. Uh, but people that have nomophobia or phone-aholics, they cannot and will not live without their phones. And if you don't have a phone, and you're a young person, and your parents say you have to wait until 
this date or this time, the greatest day in their future is the day they get their cell phone. And not a dumb phone. It's got to be a smartphone, right? Our Our mobile devices are extensions of our physical bodies. Very often, literally, they're in our hand. But because they're in our hand and they attract our attention for sometimes hours of the day, they uh, extend they extend our influence and other people influencing us. And as we interact with our smartphones, we're extending beyond ourselves to the world. And we are influencing people that we're connected with. And people we're connected with are, in, are influencing us. They're like reaching into our brain and helping us think differently, or reaching into our lives and helping us process things, or they're teaching us things as we're watching on YouTube, or we're interacting on Game Pigeon and playing games uh, with friends. Our phones can control us. Our phones, the way we use them, reveal what we believe. See, because how we use our bodies and how we use phones that are often connected to our bodies 24-7, they reveal how, what we really believe about ourselves and ultimately about God. See, who is in control of my life? Am I in control of my life? Because often our smartphones are connected to us because we feel like we have to control things, people, circumstances. And when we aren't connected, we have this nomophobia, the fear of nomophobia, because we feel out of control or out of touch or we're missing out on life. But if we don't have a mobile phone or we're disconnected from it, does it really change who's in control? It can. Our perception of control and power, who is really God in our lives? God isn't displaced from our lives or from the universe if we don't have access to a smartphone for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year. For the rest of your life, some of us don't like our smartphone and would be very comfortable not having it. And many of you are like, oh, how can you think that way? I would gladly give up my smartphone. But the church pays for it. They want me to have it. <laughs> they want you to have access to me, right? But I would give it up. It doesn't provide for me what, um, what I have tried Uh, to control satisfaction, it doesn't change reality. It changes how I view reality often, but it doesn't change reality. God is in complete control of the universe, of our lives, of all relationships, of our health, of the weather, of elections coming up this year, This week in New Hampshire, 
Us having access to our phone really changes very, very little in the grand scheme of things. In Romans 6, 15 to 17, we're going to see that Christians use our bodies and anything that is extending from our bodies, physical bodies, our bodies, we look at them differently than the world does. Our bodies are gifts from our God to us to be used for Him and for other people. The moment that we trust Jesus Christ alone as our Lord and Savior, a struggle begins. And everyone who knows Christ, we're about ready to get into this struggle that Galatians 5 tells us exists, that Ephesians 6 tells us exists, that Galatians, or Romans 6, 7, and 8 tells us exists. And this struggle is to obey our powerful new master, or not to obey him. Who tells us how to use our bodies? Who tells you how to use your body? And when they tell you what to do and not to do, you listen to them. Because Romans 6 is going to tell us very clearly, and we've already seen it in 12 to 14, don't yield your members, that's parts of your body, your mind, your heart, your hands, your feet, your tongue, your eyes, all parts of your body. Don't give your body to be instruments of sin unto unrighteousness. We have a choice after salvation that we did not have before salvation. Before salvation, before God rescued us with His power and His glory, the cross at the empty tomb, when Christ removed our sin from us, we were slaves to sin. Most of the world, most of the people we interact with, it's obvious they're slaves to sin. They enjoy sin, they laugh at sin, they talk about sin, they invent sin, they entice us to sin. It is all over the TV. It is all over the internet. It is all over our smartphones, social media, YouTube. We have to resist the temptation to use our bodies for something other than the Lord and serving others. Who tells you how to use your body? See, we lived for years before our salvation, all of us did, believing that we are our own boss, we are our own Lord or Master. No one tells me what to do. We're born with that. How many times have we seen a toddler cross his arms, her arms, and say, no? You're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a child, and you do not talk to your parent that way. And as we get older, it gets less cute and more blatant, rebellious. But how many adults in your private time with God, when you're reading God's Word and you know what you're doing or what you're planning to do is wrong, you cross your arms after looking at God's Word 
and you think this thought to God, no, God, I'm not going to do that. You are on dangerous ground. When God tells us how to use our bodies and we say no to Him, who do you think you are? We forget as Christians that we are not in charge of these bodies. These bodies, like James has reminded us, that they are just gifts from God. Every good gift and our bodies are a good gift from God to us to be used not for ourselves, but for Him. Now that we are in Christ, we must learn how to live with Him being our Master. Master and slave is a very important concept throughout the New Testament. Unfortunately, our English Bibles translate the word slave, servant, way more than they do slave. But slave in the concept of enslaving or bondage is 158 times in our New Testament. Nearly every single book of our New Testament has this idea in it. And I did a study on this back in November 2022 to December 8th. So if you want to go back to YouTube and watch that, I would encourage you to because this passage of Romans 6, it doesn't change the word. So the word slave in Romans 6 is translated correctly because if you put servant there, it doesn't make sense. And so we'll see the concept here of slave and the writers of the New Testament self-identify as You'll see the beginning of their letters often. Paul does it, James does it, Peter does it, a slave, the very first verse of their books, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's translated servant, so it doesn't come across as that, but it is the word slave. They self-identify as a slave of the Lord Jesus. Even James, who is a half-brother of Christ, we would probably identify as, I'm a brother of Jesus. Literally, no, he calls himself a slave, a slave of the Lord Jesus. Why did they call themselves, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, slaves of Jesus Christ? Romans 6 gives us that answer. So let's see what uh, we can learn from these three verses, Romans 6 today, verses 15 to 17. We read, that we heard them read, now we're going to go back to verse 15, and a question, what then? Because we're not under law, but we're under grace. That's the end of verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but you're under grace, so we don't have to serve the law and by, that, by extension serving sin and be convicted of sin constantly, but we just have to live for God's grace and His righteousness. So then the question comes up again that's very similar to verse 1. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And then the same, strongest Greek negative, emphatic, by no means. There's no way you come to this conclusion. This is not the direction Paul wants us to go logically. But if you're logical from the end of Romans 5, you come to the question of 6.1. Let's go back to 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
So it's very similar to verse 15, and I'll show you some parallels and some differences. So this, the parallel is the question, what shall we say then? Thinking, I can continue to sin, I'll just get more grace. That's verse 1. Verse 15, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, so I might as well just sin, all right? And how I use my body. Continuing in sin that grace may abound, that's verse 1. So Romans 6, 1, if you want to go back there uh, and look at it, it's, it assumes that we sin because we want to get more grace. And I used the example a couple weeks ago when we looked at this, of this example. Foolishly cutting yourself, even if you live next door to urgent care, or your dad's a physician or your mom's a physician, who can stitch you up? Foolishly cutting yourself thinking, I'll just get stitches. Now, anyone who foolishly is cutting themselves, they need to have the knives removed from their house, the razor blades, anything sharp, the sharp rocks, okay? Someone who enjoys cutting themselves thinking, I'll just get stitches. What? No, don't cut yourself. We're gonna have to, you're going to have to change the way you think, okay? When we sin, we use these bodies to sin. We cut ourselves with sin. And all of us who have lived life long enough and have tried dangerous things or foolish things, we have scars on these physical bodies. I've got scars. You know why? Because I've done foolish things. I did not listen to my parents, and I got a scar right here. I almost lost my right eye. Dumb as age nine. So we don't cut ourselves thinking, I'll just get stitches. We don't sin thinking, I'll just get God's grace. No, sin is destructive. It destroys you and people around you. Don't sin. You're free from sin. Romans 6 is going to tell us. That's verse 1. Now, how is verse 15 different? So let's look at verse 15. It says, what then are we to sin because... We're not under law, but we're under grace, okay? Not, ex not expecting to get grace like verse 1 is. Verse 15 is, I am not under the law. The law doesn't have any dominion over me. Oh, well, then I might as well just sin because I'll just, grace, I'll just get, keep getting grace similar to verse 1, but who is your master? So where verse 15 assumes that we sin because we're still under grace's rule, like I'm not going to get kicked out of my family if I keep sinning against my parents or siblings. So grace is the gift in the beginning of Romans 6. Now grace is the master in the middle of this chapter. Here the example, to use a biblical example of Proverbs 1. If you look at Proverbs 1, the parents of Proverbs 1, verses 8 to 10 Say, son, listen, and I will give you wise instruction. And if you'll listen to me, this wise instruction will keep you from, and then Proverbs 1, 11 to 14 says, it'll keep you from listening to friends who say, hey, let's go out tonight and let's beat people up. Let's steal things. Let's even kill somebody. And then we'll share what we, the spoils of, of our murderous act. Wisdom keeps you from foolishness. Proverbs 1 says, foolish, influential, destructive friends. 
Here's the example. Following foolish, influential, destructive friends is so foolish when you could listen to wise parents. Your parents would say, stay away from friends who will cause you to get graffiti on things or get arrested or get drunk or get high or get a tattoo that you're going to regret or all kinds of other things that are destructive and we have to emphatically reject this idea. Why would you listen to foolish, influential, destructive friends when you have wise parents? You may think, my parents aren't any fun. My friends are more fun. Is it really fun throwing up the next morning after a hangover and not knowing what you did? And then finding out what you did was breaking the law? You hurt somebody? Hitting someone with your car while you're driving drunk? Is that really fun? Absolutely not. That's just one example. And there are so many examples of when we give our bodies to sin that we destroy ourselves and those around us and we think, this is fun. The world says, the Super Bowl is coming. You've got to bet on it. How many ads now in, in football are for betting, gambling on the Super Bowl? And they gamble on everything from the coin toss to Gronk maybe trying to kick a field goal. And it's foolish. Gambling is foolishness. And probably in your office, probably in your circle of friends or family, there's probably going to be somebody who's going to say, hey, I got this group together, and we're going to bet on this, some aspect of the Super Bowl. And we as Christians just have got to say, well, let's look at verse 15. Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Now, can you as a Christian gamble? Well, yeah, you can. Should you? I'm not seeing it as good stewardship. It's maybe for some a gray area, but there's some black and white things like, should I look at pornography? Because I'm under under, uh, grace. I'm not under the law. Well, I could look at pornography thinking, I'm not going to lose my salvation. I'm secure in Christ. But if I think that way, you know what's going to happen to my marriage? It's going to struggle. You know what's going to happen to everyone I encourage to keep your mind pure as a pastor, as a counselor, as someone who I want to influence toward godliness? You know what that's going to do for my ministry? I'm cutting myself off at the knees, stepping on my own foot. It's foolish. Who are we listening to? Are you going to listen to the law and sin? Are you going to listen to Christ and grace? So, that's verse 15. We are to emphatically reject this notion, this logic from Romans 6, 1 to 14. It does not lead us to assume 
that I can just sin because I'm going to be under grace's rule. I'm going to still be in this house. The foolish person from Proverbs 1, no matter how much he sins, he's not going to get kicked out of the family, but he's going to destroy himself and likely others. His relationship with his parents is definitely strained, but you can listen to wise parents, and they will keep you from making a lot of foolish, destructive choices. So we emphatically reject this idea. We can sin because we're now under grace. How many Christians think, I can watch whatever I want to watch because I'm under grace? I can listen to whatever kind of music I want to listen to because I'm under grace. I can use this body. I can put junk in my brain. I can watch what I want to watch. I can do, I can talk how I want to talk because I'm a Christian. God will forgive me. We cannot live this way. This is not the direction that leads toward holiness, toward Christ-likeness. And this is where Romans 8 is going to really focus us. This path of obedience leads us toward being like Jesus. And so we have to emphatically reject. We can sin because we're now under grace. And someone that I heard years ago, it's still what he said stuck in my brain, less Olala, he said, grace does not allow you to live in disgrace. So you cannot claim, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm under grace, and I can live how I want. Paul is going to <laughs> grab you by the lapels and say, no, don't think this way. That's verse 15. Now verse 16 says, do you not know? But the people that live like verse 15 and like verse 1 don't know certain things. So after verse 1, you had some knowledge, some teaching. Now after verse 15, there's some more knowledge here. He's trying to give the Christians that are thinking like verse 15, and he says, no, 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 you're not thinking correctly. Here's how you need to think. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, and here's our word slave, if you put servant here, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have the right uh, emphasis. And the Holy Spirit chose the word slave. As obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to... You expect life, but you get righteousness here. Okay? So we'll talk about that. Do you not know... That if you present yourselves, that's, and if you look back compared to 12 to 14, present yourselves, your members or your parts of your body. Okay, so we're going to think about the internal part of us, our heart, our desire, our mind, and then our external, what people, what we see, what we say, what we can do with our hands or our feet, how we use our bodies. Don't give your body parts of you. It says here, don't you know that if you present yourselves, so whenever you give someone a gift, you present a gift and say, I'm giving you what was mine, it's now yours. That's, a, that's how you present something. So don't, he says, present yourselves as obedient slaves to sin. 
And there's two choices here. This is why the title was Simply Obey. There's not a multiple amount of masters out there that we have to choose. Which one are we going to obey? Are we going to choose this one or this one or this one or this one? Or this one? And many, some um, religions have multiple gods. No, there's only one true and living God. We are to logically know something from verse 16. What does he want us to know? And everyone here, whether you're seven or whether you're 77, you can get this. What you present your body to do, that's your master. Okay? How you, what you give yourself over to allow your body to do, that is your master. That's verse 16. So we are to logically know something in verse 16. And from verse 16... The emphasis isn't on what we shouldn't do. Present yourselves as slaves to sin. He says there's another option. If you present yourselves either of slaves to sin, which leads to death. Now think about it. How smart is it? Is if you're going down a road and it says, Bridge is out. You're going to end up in the Merrimack River. Sub-zero temperatures, and you're going to be in your car in the Merrimack River, and the bridge is out. How foolish is it to drive right by that sign and say, eh, it'll probably be different for me. And you can see in the Merrimack River people floating there because other people have ignored the sign. And they drove right off of the bridge. The bridge was out, right into the river, and they have perished. How many people need to present their bodies as slaves of sin? And we watch them destroy themselves with sin. Lying, stealing, immorality. You go through the list of sins. How many lives do we need to be destroyed to say, I don't think that's the right path? God's Word says here, this is as simple as you have a body. If you present that body, if you give your body over to sin as your master, I think through the worst imaginable master that you could possibly have, you wake up and he's screaming at you. If you don't get his breakfast fast enough, he's pulling out a bullwhip and he's whipping you on the back. If you don't do enough work, 16 hours a day of hard manual labor, you get beaten. You fall into bed every night exhausted and say, tomorrow I got to do the same thing. And you live with that master for day after day after day, year after year. And then an extremely wealthy man comes to your evil master and says and looks at us who our bodies are disfigured by this time, scars all over them. We are about ready to just give up and die. And that wonderful man, unbelievable wealth, says, 
can I buy him? Can I buy her from you? And your master has beaten you. He, he's getting very little work out of you now. And he says, sure, not worth anything to me. And he sells you to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ buys you. And he cleans your wounds. He restores your family. He does a lot for you. He chose you out of slavery to sin. And he calls you not just his slave. He calls you his son or his daughter. And makes you an heir of eternal life. And then he says to you and to me, don't go back and serve that master. And what do we do? We look at everyone else whose lives appear to be fun and ruining themselves on the weekend, throwing away life savings with gambling, putting a tattoo everywhere you can possibly put it, smoking and drinking and cussing and immoral, inventing evil. And you say, that's the good life? Are you serious? And your master who has set you free says, I want you to present your body to me. Let me use your body. You have a choice, though. He's not an evil master to make you serve him. He gives you the choice of, because I set you free, I want you to serve me. Present your body to me, and I will use your body for righteousness. Where you used to use your body for sin, and sin was a horrible master, abused every single one of his slaves. And where does that sin master lead in verse 16? Where's the end of the road? No one escapes sin alive. Sin kills every one of its followers. You're not the exception. And we fool ourselves to think, it'll be different for me. Just as foolish as someone driving by a bridge outside thinking, I could probably make it across. It'll be different for me. I can maybe swim. No, turn around. We have to know this as Christians. And where is this at in Romans? This is after Romans 4 and 5 that tell us that we are free from sin. We are on a path that leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All people before salvation only present their bodies, verses 12 to 14, as obedient slaves to sin. How do we know that they are obedient slaves to sin? Well, verse 16 says, Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one whom you obey? So who are you obeying? And there's two options. 
Only two. There's not many. There's just two. For everyone that's ever lived on the face of the earth. Two options. Slave of sin, slave of God. You say, no, no, no. I am my own master. I'm my own boss. Okay, you're in the slave to sin category. No, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm my own master. Right, and your master is telling you what? To give your body to sin. You say, how do you know? Okay. So look at someone who is their own boss, and they have their arms crossed. No one tells me what to do. Are they a good employee? Answer, no. Why aren't they a good employee? Because they won't listen to their boss. They only listen to themselves. Are they a good student? No, they're a horrible student. Why? Because they won't listen to the teacher. Are they a good son or daughter? No, they're awful son or daughter. Why? Because they won't listen to their parents. Okay, so they get married. Will they listen to their spouse? Absolutely not. They're their own boss. They have a horrible marriage. Why? Because they won't listen to anyone. Do you see that when you are your own boss, you're a slave to sin? Do you see it now? This is what God wants us to see. And when we see this, we are to be repulsed by it as Christians, not attracted to it. Any more than we're supposed to be attracted to roadkill and think, oh man, a good meal. Let me get that. We're going to have a catered lunch, and it's not going to be roadkill. It's going to be good food. You are free to choose. How are we free? Because that's what grace does for us. That's what faith in Jesus Christ does for us. It sets us free. That's Romans 4 and 5. And now we're free to choose to follow a better master. If you're unsaved, you're not free. Don't envy. If you're a Christian, don't envy those who aren't free. They're in awful bondage to sin. How do we know? Because they're giving themselves over to sin. Sin is destroying them. They look older than their years because sin is taking, sucking the life out of them, their physical life. And we are free to choose to follow one master. You, whatever you present your body, your heart, your desires, your mind, your tongue, your hands, your feet, whatever you present your body to that master, whoever you obey, that's your master. We can all tell who your master is, especially those who live close to you, simply by looking at who you obey. Do you obey Jesus and His Word? I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that for you. I can't force even my wife or my kids to obey God. They have to choose to obey God for themselves. They can't force me to obey God. I've got to choose to obey God for myself. As your pastor, I really want you to obey God. But I can't force you to obey God. You have to choose to obey God. And verse 16 is a wonderful verse that's very logical because Romans is logical. That you are, whoever is your master, you are obeying them. And why would you want to be a slave to sin? Because if you're a slave to sin, where does that lead? It leads to 
death. But there's another option for the Christian, and only the Christian has this other option. Look at verse 16 again. Either you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave to God or obeying God, which leads to where? Righteousness. Why doesn't he say life? Why does he say righteousness? Hmm. I don't know if I have enough time to answer that. I'll give you a little bit of an answer, and then Romans 8 is going to give us more of an answer, and we're going to have to wait to get there, all right? The opposite of death, obviously, is life. But what is death? Death is a separation, separating body from soul. It is probably likely that this is, it could be that this is physical death. People that give themselves as slaves to sin end up dying because of their sin. Sometimes they die prematurely. How many people do you know that have given themselves to sin and they haven't avoided the Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs 1? They have gone with the wrong crowd. And I've got an, a young man who is three years younger than me. He presented his body as instruments to sin. And every time I go back to my parents' house and I drive on the road that's a back, a back road, 40 miles an hour is the speed limit, and it is as fast as you want to go on this road. There are curves. It's not wide. It's not a highway. And it goes up and down. And this young man was with his friend. They may have been drinking years ago. And they were going 100 miles an hour. And his friend, he was in the passenger seat and his friend's driving. They lost control because the road goes up and down and curves, and the car went sideways, and the car wrapped around the tree, and the side of the car that hit was where my friend was seated in the passenger seat. Died instantly. This young man's parents were in ministry. This young man was a grief to his parents while he was alive, his parents stood at his casket and told his friends, don't be like him. Don't be like him. Don't be like him. His friends honored him as I drove by the tree that took his life, and they put cigarettes in the bark of the tree as a memorial. That's what he was known for. Smoking, drinking, maybe drugs. It's a sad way to spend the last years of your life. This is where presenting your body as a slave to sin leads. Does it lead that way for everybody? No, some people live to be 100. And we can see them. The, sometimes they're celebrities. We can watch their life, but they've had eight marriages. They're living in sin. They're going to stand before God and be judged. It's going to be awful for them. We know Revelation 20. It's going to be awful for them for all time. And as Christians, you are free from sin. You do not have to present your, your body as instruments of sin for unrighteousness. You are free to a different master 
And this master does not abuse you. He does not demand of you to work 16 hours a day and beat you when you don't perform. This is not how Christ treats us. He treats us as a loving father treats his children. He forgives us and cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. Yes, He has expectations of us. What is the expectation here in verse 16? The word is obedience. Simply obey Him. Is that too much to ask from a master who has set you free? No, it's not. It's logical. But so many people don't realize there's only two choices, slave of sin or slave to God. They think there's this massive third category in the middle where I can be a master of my own fate, I can be my own boss, and nobody tells me what to do, and it's so enticing. But it's fantasy. It's not reality. That world doesn't exist. Scripture does this and says there's slaves to sin and there's slaves to God. Where are you at? You say, no, 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 give me a third category. There, aren't, there is not a third category. That doesn't make sense. When you speak the world into existence, you can create however you want to create. But we're in a world that was created by the sovereign God, and this is how He's designed it. And it's good. And us choosing to be a slave of Jesus Christ, our Master, where does that lead in verse 16? Well, how, do we, how does the world know that we're slaves of Jesus? We obey the Word of God. If we are doing something that God says is not good, is not right, if we're planning to sin, and we read about it like, whoa, 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 I did not realize that was sin. I've got to repent. I've got to get right with God. And we repent. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He puts us back on the path that leads to life and righteousness. Verse 16 says, and the world can tell. The reason that we don't party up on the weekends, the reason we don't cheat on our spouse, the reason we don't gamble, the reason we don't do all these things that are sinful, is not because it's, it's a better life. It's because we have a different master. And you use the word master today, and we're slaves of that master. The world's going to say, yeah, don't use that language. Well, that's biblical language. We are slaves of a perfect master. And he treats us really well. And we give him these bodies to use. How does the world know that we give God our bodies? Because we're obeying Him. And where does this path lead? It doesn't lead to death. Look at the end of verse 16. It leads to righteousness. Doing what pleases God. See, the theme of Romans is God's righteousness. And I'm out of time to get to verse 17. So we'll pick up here 
next week. But God is powerful. We gather as God's people every single week. And without having it the last couple weeks where I was, we were snowed in two weeks ago, or I was in Florida last week, I longed to get back here with you. Not so I could preach at you, but so that we could be together, worship together, sing together, pray together, talk together. This afternoon, we'll grieve together. But the Christian life is meant to be a very ordinary experience of doing life together. And as we gather as God's people together, we are about obeying what the Bible says. Why? Well, Romans 6.16 tells us why. Don't you know? Whoever you yield your body, whatever you give your body over, that's your master. Either of sin that leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. And righteousness is perfect righteousness is a synonym of eternal life. What's heaven going to be like? Everyone's going to be perfectly righteous. Does that make sense? We're never going to do unrighteousness. Unrighteousness isn't an option in heaven. Like we're going to have glorified bodies and we're going to use those glorified bodies only to do what's right. Like we're not going to struggle with our temptation of our mind, our heart, uh, saying the wrong thing, watching the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, acting the wrong way. Inappropriate in any way is off the table in heaven. Why? Because we're yielding ourselves now, these bodies, to God. He's going to use them. He's changing them. Romans 6, 8 is about this change, this process. And this process leads us to eternal life. In eternal life, everyone does perfect righteousness. Because we're all then perfectly like Jesus Christ, our righteous, perfectly righteous Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful that we have an option we have a different master than the world has. We do not have to go back to our old master and keep serving sin, giving ourselves over to sin that leads to death. We can be different from the world. Yes, the world wants us to join them, but we don't have to. Help us to resist temptation this week, to think like the world, to love what the world loves, hate what the world hates, Help us to resist the temptation of being our own boss, no one telling us what to do with our bodies. Help us to joyfully submit our time, our bodies, everything that you've given us as a resource. Help us to use these bodies for you. Help us to fill our minds with truth instead of air. Help us to, fill, help us to listen as Proverbs encourage us to wise counsel instead of foolish counsel. Help us to present our bodies to you as our master. Help us to do it with a smile on our face and joy in our heart. And help us to tell the world the reason that we are joyful slaves of you is because you've set us free. And help us to encourage those who are slaves to sin to see that there's a better master out there 
He has knew no sin, became sin for them, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. Help us to enjoy our new master this week. Help us to live only for him, not for ourselves. In his name we pray.